Hey everyone, welcome to ZachCast. This is Chad Janicek here with my buddy Patrick Lawler. What's up, guys? How are y'all? We are actually live. Well, not live. This is recorded, but we're in Galveston, Texas for the safety conference. Safety. Safe hyphen D. Hyphen D. Absolutely, yes. So we're actually sitting in a hotel room right now with some... Rather intimate lighting. So we're, it, we're, we are sitting in a hotel room with some intimate lighting. It's very interesting. But also, uh, we, we are a bit fish out of water at this conference. It, yeah. is, it is very interesting. We are city managers at a conference full of fire chiefs and fire departments. Yeah, so this is an ESD conference. Emergency services districts, exactly. for those folks who don't know what that means. Yeah. Most of the time, uh, our interactions are with finance directors, with city managers, with economic development professionals. Yes, don't have a whole lot of interaction uh, from a Zach tax standpoint with the fire services. I mean, for 15 to 20 years, we had lots of interaction of course, with fire departments. It was just, as we city want manager. new fire trucks and we want lots of staffing and we want, you know, all those fun things. And now we're hanging out with our fire buddies trying to figure out how to make the revenue a little better. So it's uh, you know, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic for sure. What I found most interesting is that the concerns they have is so much different from city managers. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these ESDs are uh, either overlapping with cities or other special districts. So they may not even get their full local tax rate uh, across the, their entire boundary, uh, or they're competing with other districts. Um, they've, they don't have the same traditional retail because a lot of them are in the unincorporated areas of their counties. Yes. Um, so they're dealing with different types of sales tax. And, and a lot of them are just new to sales tax. Well, I mean, they're very new. I mean, that's the thing that we found is, you know, you, you've got all these ESDs. There's not a ton of them, maybe 100 ESDs or so that are charging sales tax right now. And a lot of them are new. Like, hey, we just started in June. We got we got that a lot, right? Um, but it's... Or we're currently trying to get an election in May. Yeah, we're going to have an election tax. in May. So we kind of want to know how much sales tax is going to be out there. I mean, it's it's really interesting to have the conversations with them because they're they're, I mean, like, their top five taxpayers for a lot of them, Amazon's like one or two for home delivery. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just a really different animal than what we're used to from that standpoint. And and the users that are generating a lot of sales tax for them are very different from our city clients. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, obviously an ESD is not going to be focused on development and growth of their sales tax base. They're kind of, um, it's we talked a lot about, or when we have worked with um, transit authorities, it's kind of similar. They don't have a ton of interaction in the actual economic development uh, so they're kind of at the whim of whatever the city is doing from a development standpoint. I mean, the reality is, is from a tax rate standpoint, they're like fighting for scraps, right? Like a city gets out there, they get their percent and a half or their 2%. And a transit district comes in there and gets a half a percent. And these ESDs are overlapping sales tax in all these areas that may have been like these donut holes that had like a quarter cent left, right? And so they're just collecting these overlapping taxes. So their tax files are not all a percent and a half. They may be collecting a quarter percent from one user and a half a percent from another and it's just a real different hodgepodge of, of taxation yeah. uh, from that standpoint. So it's it's just, it's it's interesting. It's yeah. different for us. Yeah, definitely new to us. Mm-hmm. Really eye opening to just talk about different aspects of sales tax that we don't really deal with on a daily daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. But, so, but speaking of things we don't deal with on a daily basis, uh, this is not a uh, a regular podcast. You know, we do every couple of weeks. So. Sometimes current events pass us and we don't get a chance to talk about them while they're in the news cycle. Oh, we're going to talk about the Iowa caucus? Yeah. So excited about this. So you are probably familiar, if you're listening to this, with the Iowa caucuses, which happened, what, a couple weeks ago now? Yes. We're not going to get political. Let's let's just be clear. We're not picking a candidate. We're not picking sides. We just want to talk about the technology associated with the Iowa caucus. Yeah. So the Iowa caucus on the Democratic side, because that's really where the only 
primary caucus was. Yes. Um, was a total disaster. It was horrible. And a lot of it stemmed from uh, both some rule changes that they implemented after 2016, but primarily because they contracted, the Democratic Party of Iowa contracted with a company to build an app to help them manage their caucus. Can you imagine the money behind that app? What do you think that cost? I'm sure a ton. A I, from what I understand, that they were they were building a caucus app that could be used in other places. They were actually going to use it in Nevada, which I think is next week. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Um, the company I think is Shadow Inc. or something like that's not really who I want. To, <laughs> to hey, we're gonna my... have a pol- we're gonna have a political election, and we're gonna contract with a company called Shadow Inc. <laughs> I mean, just from an optic standpoint, that's interesting. But Bra- branding one one, folks. Let's let's try not to do that. But the bottom line is, the app that they built was a total train wreck. Um, the people they were building it for didn't know how to use it. They actually had trouble getting it on the app store so that they could download it. So. They had to go through this process to sideload it. Were they on, just on Apple, or were they on were they on Google as well? I don't know, but I, okay. I'm, I'm pretty confident that it was like iPads. Okay. Um, because the way that they were sideloading it was through Apple's developer like enterprise account. Okay. And um, it's just a different process. Like you don't go to the App Store to download it. So, so I, I think that's important to understand because not everybody's developed apps like we have in the past. You know, failed at them occasionally as well. Yes. <laughs> so. But when you develop an app, you can have an app developer account, which allows you to download an application without putting it into the app store uh, so that you can you know, really beta test it. You can take it for a drive, right, with multiple different users in that way. Yeah. And Google Store works a lot differently than I, the I Apple have store. absolutely zero experience with Google's um, ecosystem. Yeah. It's but a lot can, more open. I mean, I, the system itself is a lot more open. I can tell you that – so Apple recently purchased this app called Test Flight. Which is what uh, we used yeah, way we used back it. in I the day. That. Yeah, absolutely. To uh, to to push development builds for beta testers. I didn't realize Apple bought it. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but Apple also has an enterprise program where you can build internal apps. Like there was a huge kerfuffle a few years ago because Facebook had all these internal apps. Kerfuffle. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> a big word. Nice. So, so Facebook has all these internal apps. They have one for like shuttles. They have one for their, their cafeteria menus and things like that. And Facebook kind of went afoul of Apple's policies and Apple actually shut down all their internal apps. So one day all these Facebookers go to work and their app for determining what's on the cafeteria menu doesn't work anymore. Right. So, uh, all that to say that there is a process to, to install like internal enterprise apps or development apps for testers. Okay. And but it's different than the App Store. You don't go to the App Store and download it like a normal app. And because this Caucus app was not able to get through the review process, they opted for this sort of enterprisey distribution method, which the users of the app couldn't figure out, couldn't get it installed. Um, so the ones that did, uh, they had issues with logging in because the pins that they were given expired. And so when they got to the actual caucus, their logins weren't working anymore. This is, this is an utter disaster. Yeah. And so from a company called Shadow Inc. So the the overall point that I think we'd like to make is technology is great. Obviously, we're a software company. Absolutely. You know, we yes. fully support using technology when it's appropriate. But too much is too much. You have to know your limits. Like yes. what is the appropriate amount of technology to accomplish the task that you're trying to do? Accomplish. Well, I just think it's interesting to talk about elections in general. So, you know, where 
So in the state of Texas, for example, you know, a lot of folks at the county level have gone from electronic machines that didn't have a paper record, like the little turn wheels that we used to have where you would like click enter and it would go in. Most of the counties have gone away from that and they've gone to actually a paper ballot that prints at the end of the electronic. So you go in, you make your selections, it gives you a piece of paper on like a Scantron looking form. And I'm not talking like normal test Scantron, but like your TAS test Scantron, right? And that so you, really dates you. That really it's not dates me. Yeah, it's, anymore. it's, it's called it, like tax it's or tax. Something. I think it's yeah. tax now. Yeah, or start. No, it's start test now. Yeah, uh, you, we'll you, have to bring Jennifer on. The, my wife's an educator. We'd have to bring Jennifer on the podcast to have that conversation. But um, you, you take that Scantron, and then before you walk out of the poll site, you slide that Scantron into a machine that electronically records you. Right. So um, that's where we've gone. We've gone from like electronic fully to back to electronic with like a paper record. And then these folks decide, hey, in Iowa, we're going to build an app and we're going to do this caucusing all through an app. It just it was a disaster from the start. Well, you have to think. So they have like, what, a thousand or so precincts that are doing the individual caucuses. But I mean, to understand caucusing, though, like, I don't know if you ever went through that. But, you know, A&M, I had a class where they kind of taught us how the caucus process works. Right. And, and you you try to convince people. To come to your side. Yeah. So the deal is you go through your first round or your first alignment. Correct, yes. And you, you, you stand on the corner of the room for whoever your candidate you support. That is correct. And if the candidate doesn't reach a threshold, which I think is like 15%, uh-huh. then you re- realign. Yes. And the people will kind of like horse trade to try to get you on their side or the other side. And then you, uh, everyone who was below that threshold is basically gone. Yes. And then all those people who supported that particular candidate have to go pick someone else. Correct. And that just continues until no one is below that threshold. That is correct. Right. So you may have one, you may have two, you may have five alignments, depending on how the vote shakes out, where people aren't meeting that threshold. And the idea of a caucus is, especially when you have a field as large as they have in the Democratic primary, because there's a lot of candidates, right? It, it helps to start to move support towards a smaller field, right? And so that's why traditionally they're all done kind of towards the beginning. You don't see caucusing that happens on Super Tuesday. You know, that's why it's done towards the beginning. So you get there, you didn't make 15%. Hey, congratulations, you've got to move on to somebody else. And so then you start competing for who's going to be there. And uh, it's an interesting process because you have to have people who are really good at politicking at each of these caucus locations so they right. can convince people to go there. Right. So representing leaders, the candidate, representing the candidate, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the gist is that, but why in a, in a process that's like so small at the end of the what, day, like 18th century American. Well, and also, but you've got, you got only a certain number of precincts. Let's make sure I've dated that right. I'm sorry. It, it, that's 1700s. Yeah, 1700s. So yeah. So 18th century American <laughs> process, but you only have like a thousand plus precincts, you're going to have maybe three or four alignments at the max. So Correct. you're talking like just a very small amount of data that has to be collected across the entire state. And to solve this problem, you've built an entire app. And I, I, I don't want to get too technical, but let me kind of go through the process of building an app that would actually do this. Okay, okay? awesome. Go okay. through it. So probably no one has, a lot of people don't have an idea of how this would actually be built. Okay. Okay. So you got you got basically two options for you. One, you can build the whole backend yourself. You, you're building a database server. You're building code that writes to and reads from this database and handles logins and all that kind of stuff, right? So you have your own bespoke server gotcha. that's handling all this stuff. Okay. Or 
perhaps you're using a service for your database or for your login. So you're not writing quite all of it. But for the most part, you're at least writing some of the business logic on the server side. Okay. okay? Then you're you're writing all the code to handle the interface for the application itself on the phone, like the native iPhone code or iPad code. The buttons that people are pushing and that stuff. The interface okay, that the people gotcha. are using, okay? Okay, yep. Totally separate because it's it's for iPhone or iPad. We call that the UI. The user yeah, interface. I'm, I'm using it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. you're super technical. I'm super technical over here. So, I so, got to get all my nerd points today. So these are written in totally different languages okay. with totally different um, like libraries and code bases that you have to use. In a lot of cases, it's probably totally different people because you have people who specialize in iPhone or iOS. And people, people who, who specialize, specialize in database. On, on server side. Yeah. Um, and then what you have to do is build an interface to connect those things, right? So Correct. you have your server side code that's handling connecting to your database and storing information from each alignment at each precinct. And that's handling logging in and making sure that the users who are logging in actually have access to, yeah. you know, to it. So, so you're building an inter like a, a go between, an intermediary between these already two distinct code bases. It's so much effort. It's a lot of work. So much effort for such a small but extremely important application. So, so back to my original point when I was trying to figure out what 18th century meant. We took an 18th century process. And decided to put an application in the middle of it. A process that's worked for a long time. It has. Right? No, I mean, it's been updated, right? Because you call your, your results in. You now call your results in instead. Yeah, I understand that. But, but if you want to use technology for something like this, you could use a Google spreadsheet. That's that's correct. Right? Like you could have, or a Google Forms, and you could just have each precinct with a, with a form that they go to, and it's authenticated that way. And you don't have to write any of that. It's literally just a form that's feeding into a spreadsheet which would be perfectly sufficient for their needs. Instead of trying to recreate the wheel. Right. Or since you're already building an infrastructure for the backend to share the data between all the precincts, you're already building that server side, just build a website interface. So you're only having to write, you don't have to write the interface between the app and the server. Okay, when you, gotcha. when you, when you build a website, you basically all you're doing is you're just putting a, a visual front end on the exact same code that the server is operating on. Right. So you so it, at the very least, you're reducing the different types of code you're having to write from three to just one. No, I get that. I just question the fact at all why it was necessary to write any type of software program or app for a phone call system that worked just fine. I'll leave that to the listener just, to decide. But yeah. I, I think there's I mean, I think there's room for technology to make it more efficient. The question is just what like how much technology do you really need? to uh, to introduce to this kind of process. I mean, this was so bad. Let's talk about how bad it really was. It was so bad. The candidates literally got on a plane and left the state. I mean, do they still even have official results? I think they no, do. No, no. Officially, uh, Pete won by like, like 0.08 or 0.2 delegates or something like that. Or yeah, it was state like, delegate equivalents or whatever they yes, call it. Yes, correct. By, by percentage, it was like 0.2%. It was very, very low. But it took two weeks or so to get the actual results. Which, I mean, then at that point, as a voter, you just question, like, were those the actual results? Technology is great. Obviously, we support it. Our entire livelihood at this point is built around software. Yes. At this point, our but livelihood is all built around software. You only have to use as much as is necessary. I think there's like this famous Einstein, paraf- like, it's a paraf- paraphrasing of uh, something that he wrote, which is basically make things as simple as possible, but not simpler. And I think that the way that they approached it was to make things as complicated as possible. 
but not more complicated. You know what I mean? Like they no, just, they just inverted it on his head. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just embrace technology and, and making things more efficient, but man, don't go overboard. Uh, you know, look, it was a special moment in time for sure. Maybe Iowa doesn't have an app next year I or two years from won't. now. Right. Yeah. So, so since we're on the topic of technology, let's talk about something that I always find interesting, which is, uh, your it, it governance in cities. Okay. Okay. So we recently had to update, uh, the news act tax. Yes. Um, we have introduced some new technologies, which are no longer, they no longer support the legacy internet explorer. Okay. Um, which Microsoft itself has basically end of life as of last year. I, to, to clarify, we didn't have to do what we did, but in order for us to grow the platform into other areas, we had to redo the platform and improve it significantly specifically from a database side, right? We didn't prove it so that we, we could bring on the other things that we've been telling our clients for a long time that we were going to bring on. Yeah, no, so none of that stuff had any impact. The, well, sure. the impact was the front-end side. Yes. So we introduced some new elements to make the, the user interface better, but the bottom line is that Internet Explorer is basically end of life. It doesn't like pretty. As of, I think, March of 2019, mm-hmm. Microsoft basically said you should only use IE for legacy applications. Like, there's a lot of healthcare uh, industry or industry applications that have been built around old school .NET frameworks, and they require IE, and it's way too much effort to like update those mm-hmm. uh, and mission critical. So IE still exists for those those purposes. So you can upgrade to micro, to Windows 10, but you can still use IE for all those old things. But they have this new browser, Microsoft Edge, which is what it is. I mean, it's not great, but it's at least built on you know some new technology. Um, and Microsoft recommends using that as your default browser and not IE. But we ran into some issues where people would click on their emails uh, for like login or password reset links, but their IT departments had set IE or kept IE as the default browser on their, basically their default uh, installation of Windows for their users. Yes. So these people are opening up, they maybe have been looking and like reset their password in Edge or, or Chrome, but they get their email and it's opening up into IE and they don't know the difference. It's just a browser. Correct. But it's not working. So we actually had to shut off IE uh, and basically put up a screen that says, hey, you're using Internet Explorer. Microsoft doesn't recommend it. You should use Edge or something else. Yep. Um, and but basically show them a screen that says, "Sorry, this Correct. is not going to work." Anymore. Sorry, you can't do this. I, my my question is though, what that tells me as well is that some of those cities are using platforms that are, I mean, even even the Microsoft software itself is going to be legacy, right? Because when when you get to like Windows nine, there's no win- yeah, there's no, there's no IE, there's no Windows nine. What's well, it went from Vista to seven to ten? Okay, so Windows ten. Shows right. how much we use. Windows. That's correct. Yeah, we clearly are on. I get on Windows on my parallels when I need to get to my server, and that's about it. So, uh, but but the the question is, is there is no? I mean, on my window on the parallel side of my Windows ten, there's no IE on it at all. Is there? Yeah, it's just it's hidden. Okay, it's, it's there. So these IT departments are are going to like a hidden Internet Explorer. Well, I mean, they probably just have the same images that they had from before, and it just had IE as the default. And now okay. that Windows ten is out there, it has Edge. Whenever they install a new user and it sets up that default image for Windows, it's okay. probably just still set as, as Internet Explorer. But it's not necessarily safe. 
Oh no, it's not. Yeah. It's not safe at all. Okay. It's far less secure than you know modern browsers. Yeah. I mean, I think Microsoft Edge. I know it uses the Chromium um, like web driver. Yes, it does. Um, I assume it's probably what they call Evergreen, which is like if you go to Chrome or Firefox, these these uh, browsers are updating on their own all the time, mm-hmm. like weekly, if not more often. Um, so you never have to worry about security updates and things like that. I, I assume that Microsoft Edge is probably the same way. Um, but the bigger question is, like, what are IT departments worried about? Um, the level of trust that they have with their users to, I mean, just to install software. One of the big reasons why we decided for web as opposed to an app or uh, like a desktop application or even an iPhone application for, for Zagtax is because the web is just ubiquitous. You, know, you just open a browser, you go on a website, and it works. You don't have to install anything. Um, and a lot of these cities in particular, especially as you get bigger and you have Correct. stronger and stronger IT governance. I mean, there's a role for IT governance and there's a role for things like change management and all that kind of stuff. Oh, in the world in the world of, of you know, ransomware and things like that, PDFs, they get downloaded off the internet. I mean, it, it's, it's a major issue, don't get me wrong. But you can download a... You can download a bad PDF in any browser. Any browser. It doesn't matter which right? browser you're in. You can, That's correct. You can be susceptible to a phishing email in any browser. That's correct. Or any software application. That's not like if you really if you really want to protect yourself, yes. A, a really good backup system is is important. Yes. B just letting your employees know what is and is not likely to be a phishing email. Yeah, so, t- so talk about that a really good backup system. So cities have gone from we are going to protect ourselves, right? Like really, really protective. Like nobody's going to break into our system. We're going to build these big walls, right? And now we are on, we've come to the conclusion that we're not going to be able to protect ourselves. And so we just have good backup systems so that we can lose a day. Just roll back and lose just a day. Just roll back and lose a day. Like that's the concept that's in IT. I mean, it's a scary concept for a manager, right? Because managers get, you know, constantly bombarded by our IT folks about, you know, cyber attacks and ransomware and all that different type of stuff we're not really necessarily worried as much about people stealing financial data or information out of our, uh, well, out of our systems. We aside from employee, like personnel records, yeah, everything's from, open data anyway. That's so. correct. Everything's open data except for like an employee social security number and address. Right. But it, it really is. It's very interesting to me that we've gone from in, in my you know, 15, 16 years, we've gone from, we're just going to lock these systems down where nobody else can get into them and they're going to be safe and secure and locked like a big box to now it's, we're going to just have really good backups. And if something goes wrong, we'll just roll back to the next day and lose a day. Truthfully, no matter how important the things that we do are, we can always afford to just lose a day rather than having our entire systems encrypted with ransomware. Right. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a risk mitigation. Yes. Uh, you know, losing one day's worth of productivity is, is not gonna, it's not gonna put the city in a, in a terribly unfortunate state. I mean, it's, well, it's terrorist and, sucks. And, it's and, a pain in the butt. And let's be honest. There's, there's, there's been a couple of cities out there that have been talked about that have gotten hit with ransomware. Right. But there's not a city out there in the state of Texas. who probably hasn't had at least one instance of ransomware it may have been isolated. It may have been stopped, but the reality is it's pretty much everybody has been faced with well, ransomware at some point. I mean, we've, we've worked with cities before that have had to go back and recreate months of months financial data, of financial data. <laughs> right? right. Uh, and that's just because uh, it was in one particular case, it was just an extremely unfortunate set of circumstances. Yeah. It all, wasn't actually ransomware. It was, all it was kind servers of coalesced that yeah. to, to cause some big problems, but I mean, backups are only as good as the data that actually gets backed up. Yeah. Yeah. But everything is, everything is 
basically redoable is what we kind of learned <laughs> from that experience. It may not be fun, but you can do it. Um, I love when we picked up the phone and called Toddler Tech, right? And we, we call Encode, the, the major server. We got to tell the story just a little bit, right? We had a server that went down. It was our major financial server that went down. There was no, there was no attack on our system or anything like that. We had, a, we had a RAID controller. This is getting really technical. But part of the RAID controller went down. The system didn't notify us. The second part went down. And then it started parsing the files like a bad puzzle. Right. So it would get like the first side of the file and then the third and then the second and then the fifth and then the ninth. And it was just like a you couldn't put the data back together again. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall and you couldn't put them back together. And so this occurred and we didn't realize that a, a raid controller had failed like three months prior, four months prior. So we call Encode and we said, hey, we have bad financial data in our system and it's a real problem. And Encode's response to us is. Yep, don't know what to do for you. Good luck. <laughs> Let us know how that goes. <laughs> Let us know how that goes. Whenever you figure that out, that'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, correct. Works. And so then, then we went back and, and uh, luckily we we took all of our paper reports that we had taken out of Encode and we recreated every financial tra- transaction for that like three to four month period. And then when we got done, Encode's response was, man, if we have another client who does this, y- y'all probably get paid a lot of money to help fix that. So got to love that, right? Yeah. So, But yeah, having, having backups and making sure they're working is quite helpful. Yes, it but, is very I mean, at the end of the day, I fully understand the the concern that I, these IT departments have. Part of it is, honestly, justification of their existence, right? Ooh. But that's not unique to IT departments. I, that's a little bit maybe controversial, but okay. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We talk about <laughs> that comment's gonna stay on a podcast. You want me to go you want me to go even further, okay? Yeah. We talk about like libraries. Okay. Oh Lord, we, we can't go libraries. We're, we're gonna do this. We're, talk, we're, we're at a, a firefighter conference, let's talk about fire departments. Fire departments right? Yes, correct. Yes. Why do we have eight hundred thousand dollar traffic cones going out to deal with, with traffic accidents, right? We don't have fires to fight anymore, largely speaking. Correct, yes. So we find other things to do to justify why we're here. So and that's not unique to to IT, to fire, to Libraries to parks to governments. Yes. So I'm going to refl- I'm going to reflect. That's a bureaucratic issue. That's correct. So I'm going to reflect just for a minute, right, on on that eight hundred thousand dollar fire cone comment, right? Because I think uh, I'm going to I'm going to eat a little crow here for a second, and it's going to be really interesting. So at this conference, I I talked to a few people who were selling fire trucks, right? And much like the Strong Towns movement that's occurred with city managers, where it was so cool to build, it was so cool to have sprawl, it was so good to do new development and do all those things. And now we've kind of looked at it and we said, wow, like we loved all those badges that we wore on our sleeves, but was really that the smartest decisions long term financially for our city? I think that's occurring in a fire department too, right? There's some reflection that's going on in a fire department about fire service and what that fire service looks like and what that level of service needs to look like and all those different types of things. It, it's coming. I'm not saying they're going to get rid of the pre-red fire truck, so, but I, I, I am saying that like, like city managers, they've, they've made decisions just like city managers had out of vanity. It's a welcome change if that's the case. That's but just like we talked about not using more technology than is necessary. Agreed. Right. Yes. <laughs> We've been using way more fire technology than is necessary for what we're actually doing most of the time. I'm telling you, I literally saw a drone for a, a, a fire thing that, that was flying in the air today at this conference. And I thought to myself, like, what do you use that drone for? <laughs> so I went over there and talked to the guy and I got a, it's really cool. <laughs> that was it. I mean, but I mean, from a development standpoint, you know, you get an e-commerce development director out there and, and we develop something that we don't really look the financials on and it's, it's, it's really cool. That's why we did it. It's really cool. So, so that digression aside, yeah. 
you can't really argue that there's not some degree of, um, of justification to why we have all these policies. It's not IT-centric. It's not firefighters or libraries. Every bureaucracy is going to develop rules and procedures to justify HR. But that makes right? us less efficient. It does. That's what's kind of what I'm alluding to. You know, yes. this whole whole topic is I understand that there's some level of security and governance that needs to happen because, I mean, even though you want all of your employees to be responsible adults, not everyone's going to be. But the things that are causing us the most problems are not going to be controlled by whether you set a default browser or whether your network settings are blocking Facebook, right? The things that are causing that you hear about the most are people responding to bogus emails. And there's just no way to really solve that. You, you can't change somebody's bad decision-making habit in an email. You know, I mean, you could train them. Uh, we have an IT firm that works for us that like tries to actually trick them and then train them after they trick them. And so you, you want to tell a funny story real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Cause I, I do want to talk about something else before, okay. before we wrap up here. But yeah. uh, if we go a little bit longer than normal, you know, whatever yeah. we're, we're at a conference, who cares? We're probably going to cut out all the comments about libraries and fire department. <laughs> so we got time. Oh no. <laughs> we're going to leave that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we got a phishing email. Uh, oh yeah, let's, this is a great okay. story. So we got a phishing email sent to our finance director. Hold on, do we violate any federal laws before we tell the story? No. Okay, we're good. No. Law enforcement was involved. Statute of limitations is over. Anyway. That's true. All right. Yeah, no, they they, they thought what we did was pretty clever. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yes. so so a phishing email comes to our finance director. It says, uh, "Hey Doug, comma like all these random spaces and capitalizations. Like it's obvious it's not from from Patrick. Yes, but it says this is Patrick. Please follow the instructions to this email and wire this money." To which this has been used on many cities and many cities have wired money. Which is insane. And now, it in happens. Our, in our case, it was obviously stilted English. It was not something that you and would we're have not, said. We're not going to talk about our actual policy, getting back to IT policies on mm -hmm. this, right? But we're not going to talk about our actual policy because people don't need to know that and use it against us later. But we have a very deliberate and specific policy in place for how wires are sent yep. to protect against this, right? right. So the process started in, in continuous story. Yeah. But I mean... If you're getting that email as uh, some kind of clerk who handles wires, yes, right. Hopefully, you have a process in place where multiple people have to approve it and vet it and make sure that it's you know if you're sending money directly to someone else that there's a level of check and balance that goes on. But in this case, it was obviously not from Patrick, even though it was spoofed as his email address. Um, like the language was crazy. We were in a small organization. He would have walked into Doug's office anyway and said, "Hey, I got this. Here's the paperwork for it." It wouldn't have come in from fact, we didn't email. send a wire unless they saw my face in front of them to yes. tell them to send a wire. That's so correct. we knew it was fake. So here's what we did. We, we kind of played along with them. We emailed them back a few times and just a few times kind of irritated them a little bit to correct, get more information. Yes. And I don't know if you know this, but if you go into a website, mm -hmm. uh, if you have if you're in Chrome or Safari or Firefox, uh, there are things called developer tools, which let you inspect the actual HTML that generates the website that you're seeing. That's correct. You can change the way that it looks. You can basically manipulate everything that you see on the screen. So we went into our bank system and looked at an old like receipt, basically, of a wire draft that was legitimate that we did. Yes. And we just used the, uh, the dev tools to change the information that was shown on the screen. The account to, numbers, the sender information, all to the what stuff. To what yes. they sent us yes. should be sent. Yes. And we took a screenshot of it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 
And then, hold so, on, and then we took the screenshot. So we took the screenshot, we yeah. uploaded it to a web server that we had. Uh-huh. We built a script, like a uh, uh, basically a, a URL that fed to a script. An embedded pixel URL. It embedded a pixel yes. into the image that it later served. Okay, at this point, guys, I want to be clear because... We changed the HTML on the website. We embedded a pixel in an email. We, at this point, had law enforcement there with us right. as we were doing this, right? To, to which the the law enforcement official who was basically the IT specialist for the, the law enforcement agency that we were working with was absolutely amazed by what we were doing. Basically, long story short, all this did was whenever that image was requested, it's like if a, you yeah. opened an email, it would track all the information about the IP address and the location of where that request was coming from. It would give us the location of where the request came from. So when we sent the email uh, well, with that screenshot, some of the responses were were doozies too. I mean, that's 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 kind of important to talk about. Like you sent off the email and it's like, yes, sir. And yeah, I mean, it was just it was you know it was it was funny. Yeah. The whole process. The more was we funny. interacted, the more blatant the the scam became. That's correct. Yes. But so we we sent a follow up email with a response and a screenshot. Of this fake transaction uh-huh. uh, that was late, it was it wasn't the actual screenshot. It was the URL of this script that we wrote that would store the IP address information for anyone who actually viewed the image. Yes. So when they opened the email and it pulled up that image, it ran a script. It ran the IP address mm-hmm. of that computer, and we were able to trace it to a like a, a internet cafe in Lagos, Nigeria. It, yes, it was in Lagos, so, Nigeria. It was an internet cafe. We actually got a picture of the cafe and pulled yeah. it up. There was nothing we could do at that point. Nothing but, we could do, yeah. but we were hopeful that maybe it was some, you know, some guy in his mom's basement. Basement. And, well, because uh, I think they were they wanted us to actually wire the money to a bank in New York, and then I'm sure they were just going to wire the money out of that bank in New York back to Nigeria. But uh, so we were hopeful we would find somebody like in the states. Yeah. You know, we were we were going to be like the super sleuths. So we were going to catch somebody. At the end of the day, we wasted like two hours and. It was fun it for was the office. Like everybody was crowded around the <laughs> office watching this. It was, you know, we had a good time with it. So, okay. So, Pat, I just got back from Disney. This is like your third or fourth vacation uh, of the year. So, can we I, talk about this? I hope my wife doesn't listen. But <laughs> since my oldest was born four and a half years ago, I swear we've been to Disneyland, Disney World, like six times now. So I can handle Disneyland six times, but Disney World's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. A lot yeah. of parks, a lot of people. Anyway. Yes. So this was our like biannual trip, <laughs> semi-annual trip to Disney. And uh, I, I have to tell you something. So so the new Frozen came out recently. Frozen 2. Frozen 2 came out over the holidays. Um, when the first one, actually the first one came out way before my kid was born. Still but just as Frozen. It's, yeah. Yeah. So um, the first Disney show that my oldest and my son was ever interested in was Moana, which was a great, great show. Fantastic movie. Great message. Great show. Yes. Wonderful music. Awesome. Lin-Manuel Miranda is amazing. Yes. Um, so I was perfectly fine watching that over and over. And in my over. opinion, will probably go down as one of the greatest Disney movies ever made. It's, yeah, it's really good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Anyway. Yeah, it's uh, good. Very quickly after that, he abandoned Moana, jumped on the Frozen bandwagon. Okay. Which is just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the face that you have right now when you say it's just terrible, I have to describe it. Eyes rolled back, face going side to side. Gesticulations. Just arms up in the air. It's just, yeah, I understand it. So that lasted a few months, and then Frozen kind of died off, and other things happened, and then Frozen 2 came out. Mm-hmm. And so for the last two months now, we've been 
nonstop Frozen. And Frozen 2 finally came out on, um, like, to buy, I guess, last week. Uh So now we have Frozen 2. We already know all the songs because we've been listening to them in the car forever. And anyway, so uh, so now we're on to Frozen 2 again. But here's what I want to say about Frozen. First of all, Moana was almost an afterthought. Like, we went to Disney when Moana was, was released. There was almost nothing about Moana. And I don't think that there's a Moana character at Disney World. You can, I think there is one at Disneyland because we, we met her. Yep. But Disney World is like, it's basically nothing. There's a handful of, uh, you know, stuffed animal cartoons or uh, stuffed animals. And there's, you can buy a dress at the little boutique at, where you can get all the princess dresses. But there's basically nothing about Moana, which is this great story about, you know, uh, empowerment and, and all this kind of stuff. Frozen, on the other hand, is basically a story about Disney's first postmodern princess. Like, this may be even more controversial than the comment about, uh, you know, justification of our jobs. Elsa's terrible. She like, is in a, what way is she terrible? Elsa. Okay, so in the original Frozen, her, her like, big song, the big anthem that, you know, won an Oscar. And Let was it like, go. Yeah, you don't Let it go. Please. Please don't sing. Just, if right. we still have anyone still listening, they're going to stop. They're stop right now, yes. It's basically about how she just doesn't give a crap anymore about how what she does affects anyone else, right? She's just going to leave and just do whatever she wants to do. Standard millennial. That's why I say she's... she's I, I'm joking around. Like, she's I'm the first postmodern Disney princess. Yes. I've been making this case to my wife for like seven years now. Um, you know, Anna's great. She's nice. She was a bit naive, but she's a nice person. Elsa... <laughs> is basically just terrible. Uh, so, um, and then so the new Frozen came out, and she's like, oh, no, Elsa's redeemed, right? She's, she's recognized that she was selfish, and now she's better. But the, the song that she sings this time, which is called Into the Unknown, she basically, uh, no, I'm sorry, it's actually this, it's the finale song called Show Yourself. Show Yourself, yes. Yeah, okay. I, I, I really am sad that I even know all this, but... Is that a Justin Bieber song? No. Okay, <laughs> no, that's love yourself. Love yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, beeves. Okay. Oh, so beeves. anyway, uh, so in this song, she basically says, um, uh, basically like I've always been the kind of person that normal rules don't apply for me. Right. Okay, yeah. So like, she hasn't learned anything. So we've gone six years between the first movie and the second movie. And she has not learned a damn thing about <laughs> how her, how her actions affect other people and how she needs to be cognizant of that. And, uh, and so in the first episode, just to go back to that, the first movie, um, uh, the original argument that she kind of had remorse was when, uh, Anna found her in her like ice castle uh-huh. and, uh, she's like, you know, everything's, uh, everything's frozen back in Arendelle and like, you know, you have to come fix it. And her response is, oh, I'm such a fool. I can't be free. It's like, Woe is me that I can't just do whatever I want and damn the consequences. So, so I, just, whole conversation. I, just, I just have to get this off my chest. Okay. Elsa is a terrible role model for, for young girls, for young boys, for anyone. She is the worst Disney princess. And that's all I got to say about that's that. That's all. You, you got that off your chest. And I we got that it. off my chest. So we it have is, covered bad it technology. On, it is on record now. We've covered bad technology. The end of life for Internet Explorer all different types of stuff in between that. And and then now Elsa is the worst princess you've ever faced. So you know what's funny or, is or, or known. the people in the booth next to us today. Yes. I had this exact same conversation and they 100% agreed. This was which booth? This was the booth, the construction the, booth? The architect guys. The architect guys. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. They also, he, uh, one of them had 
kids same age as mine. Okay. And he was like, yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> so, so, that's, so that's pretty funny. There, there was a uh, there was a cartoon that my brother's kids used to watch all the time. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was always like a whiny kid. Is it Peppa Pig? It, it, Peppa's because, whiny too. Because no, people, but it's on the same channel. It's uh, it's it's the little boy that's on there, and I can't remember the name of that one. But uh, it occurred to me. But my brother used to always say, "I'm not gonna let my watch my kids watch this because all this kid does is whine." Yeah, I know people didn't like Peppa Pig because I think she was rude to her parents or something. I don't know. Yeah, I know she, she, my kids have never watched Peppa Pig, but yeah. So my kids are already watching Ninja Turtles. I'm not sure that's appropriate at this point, but that's what they're watching. Yeah, my four year old loves Power Rangers. Uh, oh, Dino Charge, Power Rangers, Dino Charge. Yeah. That's, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> when my wife and I first started dating, uh, we went to, to school. At different schools. That's correct, yeah. And, you know, you're in the early sort of honeymoon period, and we would talk on the phone all night, and it would get to the point where Power Rangers would come on the TV, and it was like, okay, well, I guess it's time to go to class now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's the last time I watched Power Rangers was way back in uh, in college. Nice. Well, guys, we're going to wrap it up on this episode of Zach Cast. I appreciate you coming and hanging out with Chad and I and uh, letting us kind of bloviate on these issues today. So, um, you know, obviously we've got a lot to talk about. I really love being at the safety conference, hanging out with our firefighter buddies. Uh, we are uh, super excited to be able to help those folks out. And uh, if you've got questions for us, always reach out. Talk to you soon.